where we're getting to look at some of those wonderful Bible stories. Maybe if you grew up in the church, uh, you may have heard in Sunday school, or if you were like me and didn't have an opportunity to really grow up learning these things that you may have heard through popular culture, these things referenced, and you kind of wonder what they're about. And that's what we're looking at, some amazing stories. And uh, today, uh, we get to talk about actually one of my very favorite ones. Of course, before we do that, we have a memory verse, which is uh, an important one, uh, and you'll see why today as you go through it. Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen, and this is what it says. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. That's Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen. All right, so, and today, uh, our message talks about a guy who actually got to do this in a way that uh, uh, most of us uh, haven't been tried. And that way, a man that really knows what it's like to wait on God and his promise. And his name is Abraham. And uh, this is his story. It's, it's an amazing thing. Now, uh, you may have heard the story of Abraham and Isaac. Uh, and I think when, when, when you study this, so you, you go through it, it brings up uh, it's such a practical thing about uh, how Abraham dealt with the mystery of God in his life. I mean, has God ever not made sense in your life? Right? Has God ever uh, had you wait on one of his promises? You know it's true, and, and, and yet it hasn't been realized yet? Have you ever wondered if you can trust God? Really, in those moments of trial, in those moments of silence, as you were waiting on God, wondering, can I really trust him? Has God ever put your faith to the test? Have you ever felt weak or wondering, you know, Am I going to make it through this? See, Abraham understood this. This is his story. This is a real story of a real man who struggled with real things and how he overcame them with faith. And so, if you have a Bible, you're going to want to turn to Genesis 22. That's where the story is. If if, uh, you have one of our Bibles, that's on page 14. It's It's right there in the beginning. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back you can use. And, And if you need a Bible... Keep it, uh, just our gift to you. So uh, right there. And as you're turning to Genesis 22, let me tell you a little about the backstory because we can start in 22 and it's already a powerful story just as is. But when you get the context of what God is doing before this story happens, it just really uh, brings it out to a, a whole nother level. See, Abram actually started out his life as Abram. That was his name. It meant exalted father, which was cool except for the ironic part was that he couldn't have kids. He was married, couldn't have kids, and he was 70 years old is when we find him in Scripture. 70. Now, that's not terribly old, but it's a time in life when you're probably not going to start a new adventure. And yet, at 70 years old, uh, God shows up in his life. Now, think of Abram lived in a time where there was no Bible, there were no churches, and he lived in a very pagan culture. All right, and... God shows up to him at 70 years old and says to Abram, I want you to leave the home where I am, where you're at. I want you to go where I'm going to tell you to go. Just go and do it. Now that's a huge test of faith. It's a test of faith partly because everything seemed off on it. The timing seemed off. I mean, it seemed like God kind of didn't pay into attention like, how old this guy was. Seven years old is a time that you are already rooted. This is not a time to get up and pack and move. It's easy to tell a 20-year-old, hey, you know, move somewhere else. But I tell a 70-year-old who's already rooted, that seems, the timing seemed to be 
off. The promise uh, uh, seemed off. I mean, why go somewhere else to be established? By the time you're seven, he was already wealthy. He already had family. He already had you know, people around him. He was already set. His community already knew him. He was comfortable. This was a time in his life where he was to be established, not to go and to become established. And the person seemed off. I mean, why would God call a man who couldn't have kids to go to a place to take land to give to his inheritance, his kids, when he didn't have any? It seemed like God picked the wrong man at the wrong time for the wrong job. But the promise was still good. God said to Abram, he said, you're going to be great and you're going to be blessed and you're going to be a blessing if you do this. Now, I don't know what sparked that kind of faith in Abram that he was willing to say, okay, I'm going to sell stuff, I'm going to move, I'm going to pack up and move, I'm going to go, I'm going to have all, you know, I'm going to trust God in this, but he did. And Abram passes the test and he picks that and he packs up his family and they move. And when they get to the promised land and they get to the area where God leads them to, God meets them there and says, all right, do you see all this land? I'm going to give all this land to your offspring. Now, that's a twofold promise. One, he's going to have land. The other one, he's going to have kids to give it to. That's a pretty powerful thing. And uh, so Abram's there, and he's in the land, and he's waiting for God, his name, Exalted Father, and God shows up, and he does this. And I don't know if there's a time in your life where you ever heard God tell you to do something. Maybe it's been a compulsion of the Spirit or something like that, and then you act in faith, and then God meets you right then, and it's real exciting. You ever had that time? Well, Abram had that, and then... Ten years pass, and nothing. And it's easy for us to read over that in Scripture, like ten years pass. But think about ten years. Ten years pass, still no land, still no kids, still getting older, still named exalted father as a nomad, childless man. And he's waiting on God's promise. And then finally, God shows up. And Abram challenges God. And he's like, God, where is your promise? (laughs) Right? I moved here under the assumption that you're going to keep your word, that we're going to have land and I'm going to have kids. Well, neither yet. And so God does something important for Abram for him to understand that God is serious on this. So, you know, we sign contracts in our culture, right? You go down, you get a cell phone or something, you sign a contract, you get TV service or something, or internet, you sign a contract, I'm going to do something. And what makes it official is that you click that, I read this and I agree to this thing, and now I'm bound to it, right? Or, if you're like really serious, you get a lawyer and you sit down and you, you write your actual signature on something, and that's a binding thing, and it's a, you, know, you don't just, just lightly enter into those things. Well, back then they didn't have paper like we have, and they, did, they signed contracts a little different. But I think it was actually a little more, uh, it probably meant a little bit more how, how they did this, is they would take uh, an animal, and they would cut it right down the middle. Cut it right in half. And then they would take another animal, cut it in half. And then the people that were going to make the covenant, they would hold hands, and they would walk down through the, the animals half and half on either side. And the idea is this. If you break this covenant that we're making, you're going to be like that animal. We're in this, right? That leaves a mark on you, probably. And it's expensive too, right? You have, you're already 
paid for animals to get into this. And so, so God says, set up the contract. Set up this covenant I'm going to make with you so that you know this is serious. So Abram does that, and then he waits, and God doesn't show up. He's late for his appointment. That's what it seemed like. Well, God was waiting for Abram because he was waiting on God, and, and, uh, and eventually Abram kind of starts to, to get tired and sleepy, and then God meets him in a vision. And I think it's important that he met him in a vision in this because then Abram couldn't get up. And so God shows up in this, like this image of a fire pot, which is cool, and unilaterally goes through the animals. See, God signed this covenant basically saying to Abram, I'm going to do this. It has nothing to do with you. I will do this. Now, a pretty powerful thing. And then Abram wakes up and then God tells him, he reaffirms the blessing. And he says, Abram, look around you. Far as you can see, this is even further than you can see. This land is yours. And he says, and not only is it going to be yours, it's going to be to your descendants. And then God adds a little, little bonus for him. He says, let me tell you about your descendants. For a little while, they're going to have to go into captivity. And then after they're in captivity for a while, then they're going to come back and then they get to keep all of the land. So God shows him a little of that, that prophecy. Now remember, Genesis was written by Moses. God revealed it to him, to the people of Israel who were now coming back from captivity. Wouldn't it be cool for them to know how long this land, had, like even their captivity was in God's promise? They just had to wait for it, for it. But Abram says, okay, he gets this promise. He gets to see a little of the future as far as what God tells him is going to happen. And so things are good again. He's 80 years old, but God reconfirmed the promise. And so he could go back to his tent and say, you know what? I'm still going to have kids. We're still going to have this land. God showed up. He did this. It's cool. And then six more years passed and nothing. Six years. And after about six years, you can imagine, they're in the land 16 years now. He's 86 years old. Still no kids. Still no land. Nobody else has seen God, by the way. Just Abram. And you can imagine there may have been a little bit of talk around the town about this crazy old nomad on the hills. I mean, he's wealthy and whatnot, but calls himself exalted father and God's going to give him kids and have kids. I imagine there was probably a little bit of ridicule. I'm sure that they were about ready to have this child and to have some land so that, you know, vindicate them a little bit. Well, they came up with an idea that uh, maybe to help God along. Because God was taking too long on his promise and and maybe God needed some help perhaps. And so Sarah had this... uh, his wife had this servant named Hagar. And, and she says, you know what? Uh, we're going to help God with this. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just your kid, not my kid, that we're supposed to have. So I'll tell you what. Hagar, you can have a kid with Hagar. And then we'll have, you'll have this child that God's promised, right? And so Abram's like, well, that sounds good. And so ends up having, you know, Hagar gets pregnant. And, and things kind of get hard because when we do things outside of God's will things get hard and, uh, and so what happens first thing God shows up and he says I don't work like that like this is not the promised child you can still little love him take care of him but this is not the promised child and not only that then of course uh, Sarah gets jealous because here's this woman pregnant and she herself couldn't get pregnant so that was kind of rubbing her face and so she didn't like that and she made Hagar's life miserable so much so that Hagar runs away and God ends up meeting her and says, hey, listen, you need to go back. It was a tough thing. And then Ishmael, the son, was born. 
and begins growing up in, in Abraham's household. And then another 12 years pass. Think about that. That's a while. And then God shows up again. You have Ishmael's like 12 years old. It's been a really long time since he's seen God. 12 years since they did something faithless. <laughs> and God shows up and he says, listen, I'm going to confirm this covenant with you. And this is how I'm going to do it. The first thing he does is he changes his name. He says, your name was Abram, which means exalted father. I'm changing your name to Abraham, which means father of many. Think about the level of faith it took for Abraham to accept that name. Because he had to go back to his home and say, God changed my name. Oh, you already changed your name to father of many. And people would be like, ha, right? Crazy old coot. You're an old dude now. You're like in your 90s, like in your upper 90s. And God brought you here how many years ago and you still don't have kids and you still don't have land? Okay, we'll call you father of many. A little sarcasm perhaps? How would you like to go tell your wife this after she's moved everything all these years? Like, well, God came, gave me a new name. Or when he goes down to the local feed store and they say, hey, Abram. And you're like, no, no, no. Call me father of many. It seems almost cruel, but it wasn't. God was confirming, I'm going to do this and you're going to have lots of kids. And Abram had to accept that by faith because up to this point, he hadn't even seen one miracle. Not one. He just trusted God was going to keep his promise. So Abraham accepts the name. Abram becomes Abraham. And then God says, here's another test of faith. God says, and this is how I'm going to seal this thing with you, is through circumcision. That also takes a lot of faith. Right? You don't just enter into this haphazardly, like, okay, God. And not only it was for him, it was for all the people in his household. Here's a man who has received zero of the promises that God told him he was going to have, moves everybody out there, and now his faith doesn't just affect him. He's got to tell every guy in his household, you need to be circumcised. I'm sure that was a fun conversation. You think perhaps maybe a little skepticism? Well, they do, and God says, I'm going to confirm this. And he does, and he's 99 years old. And he's circumcised and his family's circumcised and he has no child and he has no land. And later that year, God shows up again, but not really directly to visit Abram or Abraham. He was on his way over to, to, to visit Sodom because remember we talked about last week how sometimes God shows up when he's going to make a major judgment. Not that God isn't aware of what's happening, but he wants us to know that he knows what's going on. And God is on his way to visit Sodom and Gomorrah before he brings the judgment. And he stops over for lunch at, at Abraham's house. Abraham recognizes who it is, makes a nice meal for him, all this. They're sitting down, they're having a meal, and God confirms the covenant again. And this time he confirms it with a date. And he's, oh, during this meal he says, you know what, surely this time next year I'm going to come back and your wife will be pregnant. And Sarah, I mean, the tent walls are, are notoriously thin, right? You know that? And, and if God is having lunch with your husband just outside, I imagine you're probably listening, right? And she was listening, and when she heard this, she laughed at herself, like, now, after I'm all this, I'm so old, yeah, fat chance. I don't think I'm going to be pregnant next year, right? Kind of like, uh-huh. And God calls her out on it. 
And he says, you laughed. And she says, I didn't. He said, you did. <laughs> and then, a year later, we have a boy. Isaac is born. A child of promise. Miraculously, this hundred-year-old man and this hundred-year-old woman have a son. And they name him Laughter, which is awesome. And not because she laughed when God said she was going to get pregnant, because God turned her tears into joy. That's how God works. You've got to wait on the Lord. You've got to be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. And he came through. And it was amazing. After 30 years, think about 30 years ago. We were in the 80s, right? We were listening to, to like really crazy music and had perms and stuff. Can you imagine if God told you to move somewhere in the 80s, you move there and nothing happens till now? Think about that. That is a long time to wait on God. And finally you have this child and he's born. And I guarantee this son was raised up knowing he's a child of promise. I mean, wouldn't you tell him that? Tell him the miraculous story when everyone asks, how come your parents are so old? Well, let me tell you. Do you think that Abraham would, would talk to his son about God and how you can trust him and how, you know, it took a long time, but he kept his word. That's an amazing thing. And so you see, you see Isaac growing up in this, this household of faith. And that's really where we begin the story. And so we begin in chapter 22. And it says, uh, sometime later, read that 12 years. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Now, he identified him pretty clearly there. And he says, And now go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. I can't imagine any harder test than this. He finally had received his promise. After all of these years, all of his faith was finally vindicated. He could finally go down to the feed store and say, Father of many, the father of one. And people would be like, okay, God's clearly working in your life. Right? He waited 30 years for this, this son. All of his hopes, right? He doesn't own the land yet, but he knows that someday that his descendants will. All of his hopes, everything he left home for 30 years before that, everything, why they were circumcised, all of this, everything rests on this boy. And God says, go and sacrifice him. Don't just sacrifice him, burnt offering. Which means, you have a burnt offering, nothing's left. You know how hard that would be. It's not just his son, this is everything. And what does he do? I think... One of the most challenging passages in Scripture is verse 3 after that. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Early the next morning. See, faithfulness doesn't delay. God said to do it, and Abraham got up the next morning. And I don't know about you, but in my life, typically when God asks me something hard, 
there's usually a little delay time where I'm going to argue my case. Be like, and de- you know, are you sure you mean that? You don't mean that. How about this? Abraham, the next morning, early the next morning, he gets on his donkey. He took with him his servants and his son Isaac, and then said when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. Right away, he does the work, he goes out. He's going to trust God on this. And it says then in verse 4, get this, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Three-day ride. This was not going to be fast. This is not a pull the band-aid off kind of sacrifice. This is three days sitting with his son with the wood and the flame in hand, going out to a spot knowing what he has to do. Three days to think on that and have it sit on him. Three days for everyone else to wonder, where is the sacrifice? Three days he, he travels. Verse 5 says to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Talk about faith. Find out in Hebrews that Abraham's faith was so strong that he believed that even if God had him sacrifice his son, God would somehow resurrect his son because God had to keep his promise. Ah, that's an amazing thing. Now, verses 6 to 7, it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. Makes his son carry the very wood that he was going to be burned on. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went up together. And Isaac spoke to his father and said, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied. He says, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? See, Isaac was no fool. Although Abraham was old. We'll give him that. He's 112. So maybe his dad was slipping a little bit, right? Have you ever, you know, you forgot your car keys once in a while? I was like, Dad, we got the wood. We got the knife. Something's missing. You know, in a nice, kind way. But he knew that something was missing. He's bringing it to his dad's attention. And look what his dad says. Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on. Was he lying? No. I think Abraham absolutely believed that. God was going to somehow provide. How? He had no idea. Now, he was hoping God would provide somebody other than Isaac. And so he delays as long as he can, but finally he gets to the spot and there's no more delaying. He says, when they reached the place that God told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. The whole time, like, God, where's where's the offering? Surely you're not going to have me sacrifice my son. Surely not. But it gets to a point and there's no offering. He's gone up past the 11th hour. And so what does it do? Verse 10, he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood and he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. At that moment, Isaac was already dead to his dad. At that point, Abraham had already sacrificed his son in his heart. I mean, you get to that point. That was an exercise of extreme faith. He had said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. It doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to trust you even in this. And if you have to resurrect him, you're going to have to do that. But I'm going to trust you even in this. I will withhold nothing from God. I want you to think of this too. Isaac also had a test of faith. Remember, he's 12 and his dad is 112. Don't tell me this 12-year-old was somehow overpowered by his 112-year-old dad. He grew up in a household, a place where he knew he was the child of promise place where he knew that he heard the stories even his very life his birth was miraculous Isaac 
was bound and laid himself down. This is a huge test of faith. He had it all on the line. Either God was going to come through or God was not going to come through. But he laid himself down. And I don't think we as humans see a better picture of what it means for faith. In fact, how many times in Scripture does it say that we must die to ourselves so we can live in Christ? That we have to pick up our cross daily, right? How much does it mean that by faith that we live, we say, God, it's not about me, it's about you, and I'm going to trust you with all things. And Abraham's there, knife in hand, ready to slay his son. And then it says in verse 11, But the Lord cried out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, it said. And here I am, he replied. He says, Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, and because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That's the happy part of the story, right? That's the part when God comes through. But he had to pass the test. Both Abraham and Isaac had a death to that death. They recognized that they put God above all things and that God missed the day. And with passing the test, right, that test of faith in God, I'm going to trust you, God, beyond what I can understand. I'm going to trust that you're going to be able to keep your word, even as it makes sense to me. And they passed the test because they did it. Then we get to the part that's awesome and we get to the blessing. And that's verses 15 and 18. It says this. It says, The angel of the Lord called out to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. So who's the angel? The Lord. And it says, I swear by myself, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because you obeyed. There is a blessing to this. Abraham was blessed with a legacy. A huge legacy. Not only are you going to have lots of kids, but your kids are going to be successful. Not only are be successful, but they're going to be a blessing to lots of other people. The world's going to be a better place because of what you have done. Isaac was blessed. Not only get to live, do you think that left a mark in his life? Right? Look at the faith of Isaac. He almost died at God's hand. He was a child of the promise. He almost died, laid down his life for this. And he sees God come through. Now, we don't read much about Isaac's life. That's the best kind of blessing. He didn't have anything interesting happen. All we read about Isaac, he had this. And then later, he gets married. And then later, he blesses his kids when he's kind of blind and has that little fiasco happen at the very end. That's all we get. He lived a good life. He had a pretty wife. He has a nice tent. He's got, you know, comfortable, you know, peaceful life. God blessed him in his faith. And he's called a father of faith. Well, he had a big test of faith. And it was proven true. So he was blessed with wealth and an easy life, a good life, and a good name. But you know something else? There was a blessing that was beyond just the people directly involved. Abraham received the blessing. Isaac received the blessing. But we received the blessing. Because all nations of the earth will be blessed through him. How is so? 
Isn't it interesting that in this story, how many times it says, your one, your only son, the one that you love. See, Abraham didn't withhold his one and only son whom he loved. God chose then not to withhold his only son whom he loved. The Jesus came was that person through Abraham's descendants, his lineage became the Messiah. God the Son. And it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him in prayer should have everlasting life. That's the picture. The world has been blessed because of you Isaac. He laid himself down. And so the Son of God laid himself down for you and me. And we have been blessed. There is forgiveness of sins. There is hope that we have for eternity because of Christ. We have been blessed. The world is blessed. In fact, every nation in the world has Christians in it. Now, the gospel is, is everywhere because Abraham trusted. Isn't that amazing? Well, what are our takeaways from this amazing story? I, I, like, you look at the story, it's almost so powerful it doesn't seem like it could possibly be true, but it did, it happened. I think the first takeaway, when you look at the story, is this, faith has got to be tested. It must be tested. If it's not tested, it's not really faith. Right? It's easy to say, I will trust you, God, with anything if God doesn't ask you for anything. Right? Then I can say it's just a very easy thing. I would lay down my life for the Lord until you need to lay down your life for the Lord. But once you have that opportunity, once God allows your faith to be tested, like in 1 Peter, we read that, that we go through trials, all different kinds of trials. And it says that those have come so that our faith can be tested and proven true and, and result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ returns. If you are at a time of your life where your faith is being tested, don't think that God's abandoned you. Remember, most of this story took place in, this, in the W years, the waiting years. God spoke, and then they waited and waited. It's not a glamorous thing, oftentimes, walking in the faith, but I'll tell you that Abraham was just as much in the plan of God while he was waiting as he was when he was on that mountain. He didn't abandon the promise for 30 years. Maybe you're in a time of waiting. God has something for you, and you wonder, God, what are you doing? It just seems like there's an absence of, of his move in your life, and you wonder, God, where are you? Maybe your faith is being tested. Maybe you just need to, to, to be strong and to take heart and wait on the Lord. God will do what he's going to do in his perfect timing, and he's doing something powerful. How many years did Moses have to wait where he thought he was just going to be a shepherd for the rest of his life? Forty years. So much of the Christian life, so much of, the, of our, the history of faith, those that we look before us, doesn't happen in the glamorous battle. It happens in just the, the grind of the day-to-day. -day. Holding on to faith when it's not huge, you don't see lots of miracles, you just trust God. And you wait on God, and you trust His promise, and you just keep being faithful. Faith has got to be tested. And if you are in a place where your faith is being tested, then you are exactly where God wants you to be. That's where your faith is being proven strong. It's a right thing. It's not fun. But it shows us that we're in the right place, just like those have gone before us. But then as our faith is being tested, we need to see this, that faith is also rewarded. Every 
time. It says in Scripture that God is actually looking for opportunities to bless those to have faith. And it's not like an instant blessing. Abraham had to wait 30 years before he got the son, right? Sometimes you have to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. But I'll tell you this, your faith will be rewarded. When we stand with Christ, that whole passage of 1 Peter, it says that when, when Christ returns, our faith will be rewarded. It will result in praise and honor and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your faith matters. Being faithful matters, even if it doesn't pay dividends right now. It's like when you plant a garden. In the springtime, you go and you plant a garden, and what do you have to do? You've got to pull out all the weeds, and you've got to you know, get all the soil loose because it's all been hardened from the, from the winter and all that. You do all this kind of work, and it just seems, oh. And then you plant the seeds in there, and you try to keep the birds away, and you're watering it, and you're weeding it every day. And for a long time, it doesn't seem like anything good is going to happen. But then eventually, you start to see little sprouts and you get excited and all that kind of stuff. And by the end of the, the, the season, you, you have a harvest. And if people who are on the outside, your neighbors looking over the fence, you know, come July and August, they're looking over the fence and they're seeing all of these fruits and they're like, oh, you make gardening look easy. Right? Because when the harvest comes, that's, that's all people see. But there was a lot of time, there was a lot of work. It didn't look like it was going to be rewarded. Your faith will be rewarded. It does bear a harvest. Not it might, it will. Remember this. As we are in the waiting time, what gives us the ability to take heart and to be strong? Because we know it matters. In those times where there's silence, we can stay faithful knowing that it matters. That's trusting God. He will keep his word and faith will be rewarded. But not only this, it's not just about you. Look at this other thing that we find from this story that faith blesses others. Now, we know the reverse is true. We know that faithlessness affects others, right? Who here has ever been negatively impacted because somebody else has sinned? Right? Somebody lied, somebody cheated, somebody did something awful. There's abuse or addiction or just being mean. We all suffer the consequences of other people's sins, right? We also we also enjoy the benefits of other people's faithfulness. Abraham and Isaac were blessed, but we were also blessed because of what they did. Do we deserve that? No, but that's the goodness of God. Think about what a, when a husband and wife go through a hard time in marriage and they just decide, we're going to be faithful to God in this first. And because of that, we're going to be faithful to each other. We're going to do the hard work and we're going to stay together. You know what? who else is blessed? your kids, your grandkids, everybody around you in society itself. How about when a person is faithful with their finances, even when it's being uh, tried, when things are difficult and God says, trust me and and things are tight, but I want you to be a generous person and I want you to love me and and spend with priority and all this kind of stuff and you are faithful in this? It's not just you that ultimately receives a blessing, but it's all all those other people who see that you're living outside of yourself, that that you care beyond just your own needs, that you become a selfless person instead of a selfish person. You see, faithfulness blesses other people. We are at a time in our country, we're in an election year, and every time in an election year, we're always wondering how come things are getting so bad and how can we make it better? The power to change society for the better doesn't reside in any person that resides in Christ. And Christ changes lives. And when Christ changes lives, he changes communities. You want Estes Park to be a better place? Let God change you. Let God change you by being faithful. And when you are faithful, you will make this a better place. God will make this a better place. 
That's the power of church. When we come together, God blesses people through faithfulness. That is awesome. That's why he says, you are the light of the world. You are salt. So let God bless. Faithfulness blesses not just you, but it blesses others. So let us be a blessing. Let us be faithful. Now what is the moral of this story? Well, if you get one thing out of this story, get this. God keeps his word. God always keeps his word. And God has made a lot of promises to us. Promises to save us by faith, right? We have, through his his, uh, grace, and if we have faith in him, we will be saved. But he also promises this. He promises to grow us. If we're faithful, if we bow a knee to him and we allow him to change us from the inside, he will do it. He promises to to care for us. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. Even in those quiet times, he is there. God has given us a lot of powerful promises. God has promised he's going to come back. God keeps his word. I don't know about you, but I know there are times in, in my life where I've doubted God's ability to keep his word because this didn't make any sense by my circumstances how God could, could allow the things that happened in my life that happened and him still to be good and to keep his word. But I'll tell you what, God keeps his word. So we trust God until we see it fulfilled. God keeps his word. Let that stick with you. Now, how do you apply that to your life? Well, fortunately for you, I've been thinking about it. And I have some suggestions. So on that back of that connection card, if you get that, you just want to pull that out on the back side. Here's some things that you can do to help us begin trusting God in his word. And you'll notice the first one says, this week I commit to you. The first thing I'm going to challenge you to do, maybe, is to, is to uh, memorize Psalm 27, 14. To wait in the Lord, to be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. Why? Because most of the Christian life, most of the faith-filled life is meant in the, is in the quiet time of waiting. We spend the great majority of our existence in the desert. We just do. This is a passage that helps you get through those times. When it seems like God is silent, when it seems like nothing's happening, when it seems like your prayers aren't being answered the way that you feel like they should be or as quickly or whatever, remember this. Let it be tattooed to your very spirit. Wait on the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait on the Lord. No, this was written by people that waited on the Lord. They were strong, they took heart, and they waited on the Lord, and look what God did. Maybe you need this passage. I don't know, maybe right now you're in a time in your life where it's really fun and God's really meeting you. Great, memorize this because you're going to go to the desert at some point. Or maybe you're in the desert now. This will remind you, you're not alone. This is not strange what is happening to you. God is with you. He is always with you and he is working. So just wait on him. Let this be a source of strength. So maybe you memorize that this week. Or how about this? Maybe this week you want to get into the Bible. Here's a great place to start. How about you read the story we just talked about? Now you have the context. You can read it. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I left out because I only have so much time. Read it. It's a powerful story. It's a real story of real faith being exercised in the real world. So read it. Or how about this? Maybe for you, what you need to do is pray for faith. Maybe right now you are at a point where you just don't know how much further you can go. Maybe you're like Abraham, you've been waiting for 30 years and you still don't have land, you still don't have the kid, you still don't have the promise and you feel like you're running out of gas. Well, that's when we need to turn to God. And I think one of the best prayers we see before Jesus was a man who said, you know what, I believe, please help me believe. If we ask God for faith, he will help us. And if, and if you need the power to trust God, you want to trust God, but you're having a really hard time with it, Maybe this is what you commit to this week. Say, God, I don't, I'm not going to abandon you, but I just need help. Maybe that's your prayer. Or how about this? 
Maybe you just need to pray. Maybe you just need to pass the test. You need to stop having this dualistic mind that's saying, maybe I'm going to quit. You have to have it in your heart to follow the example of Abraham. Say, listen, I will pass the test. No matter how long it is, I'm going to pass this test. I'm not going to give up. I would tell you the stories. Remember when I was, I was a 400-meter sprinter? That's what they would call it, although I don't doubt they call it a sprint, but that's what they, they said it was a sprint. And you would run that race, and I will tell you, the first 100, you're just feeling strong and fast, and that second 100, you're like, why am I doing this? The third 100, you want to die. And what happens in your head while you're going around that, that second corner on that last uh, third 100 is you're thinking of all the things that you could do to make it end because it hurts, and you can't even see the finish line yet. So you're thinking to yourself, you know what, maybe if I quit, if I just fall down, then they'll come out and they'll be nice to me and bring me water and carry me off. (laughs) But if you have that mentality, you're not going to finish well. You have to fight off those feelings, I'm going to quit. So I'll tell you, there's a time coming, we're going to crest that that last corner, you're going to see the finish line. And when you see it, that gives you the motivation, then you just give it your all. Maybe you're on the third quarter, you're a Christian, and you're on that, 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 that third hundred, and you're thinking about quitting. Life is hard. Faith has got to be tested. You're right where you need to be. Don't quit. You're running the race. Run to win. Maybe that's you. You say right now today, I'm going to finish this. Set it in your heart and your mind. Make that your commitment. Let me know what your commitment is because I'll be praying for you this week. I do. I love to do that. Support you. If there's anything I can do, let me know. Maybe there's something else God asks you to do. Write that down. Maybe there's a prayer request that you have. I'll tell you, we've seen God do miraculous things and in and through the life of this church because we've been praying and talking to him. Let us pray with you this week. If you've got a prayer request, write that down. And here in a minute, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, I ask you to take this connection card, put it in the offering basket along with your tithes and offerings. All right, but before we do that, let's pray for our commitments and for our gifts. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we... Don't just say we love you. We want to prove it by our actions. And we do that, Father, by trusting you and by living for you. And so, Father, as a church, help us to be a faithful church. Lord, there are commitments that are being made right now. I pray that you would motivate them to be more than just sentiment, more than just an emotional response to a message. But, Father, give us an iron will to keep the commitments that we're making for you. Do a work in us, Father, that we wouldn't be the same people tomorrow that we were today. Help us to be more Christ-like. Help us to be faithful so that we could be a blessing to those around us. Give us the strength to wait on you, to be strong and to take heart, knowing that you always keep your word. And Father, we also want to pray over the gifts and the offerings that are made today, the tithes. Father, thank you. You always care for us. Thank you for giving us the ability to to invest back in your incredible kingdom. I pray, Father, that you will take these gifts, these tithes, Father, that you will multiply them for the good of your kingdom. Father, that you will give our finance team and the pastors and the staff wisdom and good accountability, that these would be invested in a way that's right in line with your heart and your strategy to bring the good news of Jesus to our community. Lord, we pray all of these things in the powerful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.